There are five suggested precepts, vows, actions that take on as a practice. And it has to do with the way we act, speak, and think in our life. And that's what we're training. We're training body, speech, and mind. So the morality, the virtue aspect of the path. The mind is more conducive to stillness and peace if our speech, our actions, our thoughts are more in line and more wholesome, more skillful. Thich Nhat Hanh took these five traditional precepts and expanded on them and called them mindfulness training. These are just ways of working with mindfulness, cultivating mindfulness and really working with the mind. Mindfulness Outreach Initiative is a nonprofit insight meditation organization located in Omaha, Nebraska. We provide meditation instruction based on ethics, compassion, and wisdom, as well as social outreach programs based on transformation and healing. To join the MOI community or to practice generosity, please visit our website at mindfulnessoutreachinitiative.org. Welcome. Welcome online. Welcome in person. Glad you're here tonight. This is what I'm going to do. We'll sit. We'll just arrive just for like a couple minutes. Just to kind of settle, let things go. And I'm going to open up the space. So while you're sitting and things are settling, see what bubbles up. If there's anything, any questions or anything you'd like to share. It's nice to have a spiritual support hearing others. That's kind of what I think of it as, a spiritual support sangha, support group, where we can talk about our challenges, our successes, things we're learning, the insights we're gaining or not gaining, just to give an opportunity, some space to connect. And then after that, I have a practice that I might introduce to all of you. Kind of not going our traditional Dharma talk tonight. Just feeling a little different. I'm going with it. All right, let's just settle, arrive, breathe, let go.
connect to the body. Connect to the sensations of breathing. Connect to this moment. Letting the mind settle. Letting the mind arrive here. Simply tuning in to bare awareness. Not adding anything extra. So it has bubbled up. What's going on with practice? Yeah, you want to share? Awesome. Yeah, so I guess for me this past week, practice has been really hard in that I, ha I haven't. I haven't sat down all week. And there, you know, you always have like reasons or whatever, but what, what I've been thinking about like most of today and, and a little yesterday too, is that it gets to a point where 
I, I feel worse when I haven't practiced in a while. I kind of feel like my mind is busier and less focused. But there's almost something about when I notice that I feel worse that makes it almost harder for me then to go sit down. And I'm not really sure why that is because it's, it seems like that would be the moment that would make it really easy to put everything aside and sit down. I would notice, oh, I, I feel really, I don't feel very good and I know what the solution is. But something about that moment makes it almost harder to get back. And that's just kind of what I've been thinking about. Thanks. Anyone else? Speaking to that is, I think maybe to this evening is just being flexible in your practice and being able to adapt when you need to, to try to fit it into your schedule. You may not always be able to stay committed to a certain time or a certain way of doing things, but allowing yourself some grace in that you're not perfect and that you're just a being experiencing the world as it is. You know, I think even if it's just for a few minutes, if you could try to squeeze that in, it can be more beneficial than to just skip it altogether. I find that I do better in a community setting where I have others practicing with me because I feel accountable to that time frame and I like to show up and be on time for things. And I don't know if that comes from being a corporate steward or lots of years in business and being accountable for like meeting times or personal things like that. But when I'm on my own, I, I also kind of struggle with like, well, it's, it's meditation time. And so I find that, you know, doing it first thing in the morning when I get up just for even five to 15 minutes can, can help me to stay regular. And then often I'll fill in with the other things that I have scheduled that are in-person times. And so I may not practice by myself every day, but I practice by myself some days and with others on other days. And I find that really helpful to keep going in the practice, or at least mine. Thanks, Todd. That was good. Grace, you don't hear that word in Dharma circles too much, but it, that's important to have some grace with ourselves, some compassion, kindness. Those expectations... I have expectations too. I guess I'll share. Why not? Kind of in the same boat with you. It's been very busy this week. My life tends to be a good flow, but this is just like that to-do list has just been that to-do list is definitely on my heart and mind. It's just like, okay, I gotta just plow through it. Put the nose down, get this done, get this done. How am I going to get this done? Wake up right away. It's like, okay, just got to do this, got to do this, and just keep checking it off, keep checking it off. And don't think just one thing at a time, one thing at a time. And it was a friend has said that when life is super busy, that's when it's most important to meditate. How do you find the time? But as Todd said, you know, just one minute, two minutes, five minutes, ten minutes. When can you just, you can feel 
like I can tell because a lot of my work is staring at a screen and oh, just like I need a break. I got to take a break. So even going outside, when was that? That was this weekend. It was like 70 some degrees this weekend, wasn't it? One of these days. So I went outside and just did some standing meditation. You could call it meditation. Really, it was just sun meditate, just absorbing that sun, listening to the birds and just like taking a break. You know, it may not look like we're sitting on a cushion and in that posture, but it, it is carving out just those intentional periods throughout the day to just be. I mean, that's what this practice is. That's what we're training to do is just be present, be aware, be here, let go. How that looks doesn't have to look a certain way. It's what... What causes and conditions can you put in place that help you to let go, find contentment, find peace, find ease? Whatever that may be. And even just for one minute. One of my classes, which one was it? It was actually, it was first turning is what it was called. So it really was Theravada Buddhism. We're exploring the Pali Suttas and kind of that tradition of the Theravada tradition. Anyways, one student just hand the little bowl, the little Tibetan bowl around, and then every 15 minutes maybe, every 20 minutes, the student would just ring the gong. And then it was just kind of funny, actually, because she'd be lecturing, she'd be talking, ding, and she'd just stop. Everyone would just stop. Let go, you breathe for a minute, and it's just one minute of meditation, and then pick right back up and we go, but you just, that shift, just that stop, that pause, you kind of get absorbed, you get that momentum, but just to stop that momentum and just arrive, what's, again, checking in, checking in with that heart level, what's going on, what's in the heart, what's happening, what feelings are arising, what thoughts are happening, you know, just taking inventory of the mind, even for a little brief second, that's practice. There's some expectations. Those don't cause peace for me, having those expectations. That's what I'm learning. Like, I, I have the second, I'm supposed to sit every day. You know, I'm a Dharma teacher. I'm supposed to set the example. I have to live to this higher standard. Like, you know, all this crap that I add on, it's unnecessary. We do the best we can. We have grace with ourselves. So. Yeah. My practice has been going pretty good for the last week here. I've been pretty happy with it. The um, when I the first retreat that I went on, I had a experience of sitting for a pretty good period of time. It was probably about an hour and a half or more. And I got this really expansive, wonderful, blissful feeling, you know, and just like I could have just sat there forever. And I decided, well, I'm going to get up and go walk around. So I went out and I, I walked around out in the, it was in a park in Minnesota. And it was a thousand degrees and a bunch of mosquitoes everywhere. But I went and walked around the woods and I found a mouse that came walking out, you know, a little woodland mouse that stopped on the trail and I could sit there and and mess with him. I mean, I was like, I was just in bliss. And then I went and talked to the teacher the next day and I was going, wow, 
wow, I just had this experience, this wonderful experience. And he's looking at me, he's going, well, you know, he had like the, the application, you know, for the retreat, you know, there for him. He goes, well, you know, I see, I see you've done some drugs before. And he goes, you know, I, I don't know, you know, maybe it was a flashback or something. <laughs> and he goes, don't pay it any attention. He goes, just don't expect that. It's nice, but don't pay it any attention. Don't pay any mind to it. After the retreat, he was talking to one of the, the assistant teachers. And he's going, yeah, sometimes the very worst sit that you can have. You know, just, it's just agony. You know, you're just having a terrible time. Sometimes those are the best sits that you can have. Because it starts out that way. And I got to thinking about it. I was going, well, you know what? That blissful time that I had didn't start out that way. It didn't start out that way at all. In fact, I was struggling. Just something terrible. I had aches and pains. And I was disturbed. Terribly disturbed. Before it became blissful. I mean, this was my first retreat. I was thinking, well, maybe I went into shock, you know, or something like that. But it does, it's not really the point. The whole idea of this is just to recognize whatever comes up. And sometimes I sit and I feel almost kind of floating and a little bit lost. I don't know what I'm feeling. Let me feel that. What is that? You know, and there's a, there's a feeling to it. There is a feeling to the heebie-jeebies, God, I don't know what I'm feeling, feeling. And I can feel it somewhere there. And it starts to feel almost like, you know, ocean waves or just the movements of music or something. And then it's gone. It starts to turn into something and then I feel something else. I think that's just amazing, you know. And then after sitting, you know, maybe it's an hour sit and maybe it was good, maybe it was bad. Doesn't matter. I get up and I feel pretty good. You know, I feel like, okay, no matter what happens, I'm good for it. You know, I'm, I'm equal to whatever comes up now, today. It's inexplicable. I don't know what that is, but I really do like it. I, I, it feels so good that it really doesn't matter how this it goes. Just so long as I'm feeling it and I'm looking for it. And it's usually a surprise. You know, it's kind of surprising. Yeah, I've been having some good sits lately and uh, things have been going pretty good. I'm digging it. Something came to mind. I have a story I want to read based on what came to mind with Dave. So this is called Good? Bad? Who knows? A long time ago, a king was out hunting when he cut his finger. He summoned his doctor was always with him on the hunt, and the doctor put a bandage over the wound. Is it going to be all right? asked the king. Good? Bad? Who knows? replied the doctor, and they carried on hunting. By the time they had returned to the palace, the wound had become infected, and so the king summoned his doctor again. The doctor cleaned the wound, carefully applied some ointment, and then bandaged it. Are you sure it's going to be okay? asked the king, becoming concerned. Good? Bad? Who knows? replied the doctor again. The king became worried. The king was right. 
because in a few days the finger was so badly infected that the doctor had to amputate it. The king was so angry with his incompetent doctor that he personally escorted him to the dungeon and threw him in a cell. Well, doctor, how do you like it being in jail? Being in prison, sire? Good? Bad? Who knows? replied the doctor with the shrug of his shoulders. You are insane as well as incompetent, declared the king, and departed. A few weeks later, when the wound had healed, the king was out hunting again. Chasing an animal, he became separated from the others and became lost in the forest. Wandering in the woods, he was captured by the indigenous forest people. It was their holy day, and they had found a sacrifice for their jungle god. They tied the king to a large tree, and their priest began chanting and dancing as the forest people sharpened the sacrificial knife. The priest took the blade and was about to cut the king's throat when he shouted, Stop! This man has only nine fingers. He is not a perfect enough specimen to sacrifice to our god. Set him free! In a few days, the king found his way back to the palace and went straight to the dungeon to say thank you to the wise doctor. I thought you were stupid saying all this good, bad, who knows nonsense. Now I know you were right. Losing my finger was good. It saved my life. But it was bad of me to lock you in jail. I'm sorry. What do you mean, sire? that it was bad to put me in jail. It was very good that you put me in jail. Otherwise, I would have accompanied you on the hunt. I would have been captured too. And I have all my ten fingers. Good sit, bad sit, who knows. So I'll give a little, I guess a little Dharma talk before we go into this practice. So this arose out of the basic Buddhism class that I facilitated last time. It's good. Good, bad, who knows. It was good at the time, and I thought I'd share. It's something I used to do with the Sangha when I actually went to Lincoln. I had a little small Sangha in Lincoln I'd go to every Friday night, and then once a month we'd do this practice. It's called the Five Mindfulness Trainings. Basically, it's the five precepts. There are five suggested precepts, vows, actions that take on as a practice. And it has to do with the way we act, speak, and think in our life. And that's what we're training. We're training body, speech, and mind. And that's called sila. So the morality, the virtue aspect of the path. And so if you have a tripod, one leg is the sila aspect of this virtue, this morality, how we act, how we speak. The next leg is the meditation aspect. Meditation becomes, I'm not going to say easier, but the mind is more conducive to stillness and peace if our speech, our actions, our thoughts are more in line 
and more wholesome, more skillful, there's not going to be any remorse. There's not going to be any regret. There's not going to be flare-ups of anger or guilt or shame. Like the mind, when we do something, even with best intentions, but we create harm, when we sit with it, you know, things just don't feel good. They don't feel right. The mind has a hard time settling. So by training in this sila aspect of the path, that really benefits the meditation aspect of the path. And when meditation is going really well, then all these insights and wisdom, so that's the third leg of the tripod, is the insight. Hence why we call this the insight tradition. Gaining insight, gaining wisdom, clear seeing of our minds, really, and how we relate to the world. So tonight is about this sila. And generosity is really connected. That's also dana. You've heard of dana. We say when you want to offer dana, you know, give some dana. That's an act of generosity. It's giving. So some, some connected to the two, dana sila. Like that's how important generosity is to the sila aspect, that it really is based out of this intention of giving, of generosity, of kindness, compassion. So dana sila. Five precepts. I refrain from taking the life of any living creature. I think this is why it popped up for me today, because it rains. It has rained all day, and at the, my garage, a whole community of worms likes to collect. And so when it opens, you know, it's like you'll drive over them if you don't, or garage will smash them all. So here I am in the morning going to class, and I kind of knew. So get, I found the best way, get a little dustbin, and thank goodness it's wet, and you just kind of scoop them and put them in and then put them in the grass. So that wouldn't sit well with me, knowing that all life is sacred. I have really undertaken this reverence for life that, you know, I'm not going to do harm or this is me, Donna, that generosity, let me save your life. Maybe it'll be good for the birds too. Who knows? I'm surprised the birds aren't going nuts right there. So even coming home, you know, and I'm like, please forgive me if I kill. I really can't, but it might be a little unavoidable coming in. Again, there they are, scoop them before I close the door. And then before I came here tonight, I'm like, please don't let there be worms. And thank goodness they, there are none. I'm like, yes, okay. So even finding that, like, initially I was looking forward to it. I'm like, oh, I get to take care of these living creatures. And this is a way for me to show kindness. But by the end, I saw this reluctance, like, ah, oh, I have to save these lives. Oh. So that was tainted a little bit. So just watching how the mind reacts. So even relating to these precepts to these uh, mindfulness trainings. I like that better, These because it is training in mindfulness. So number one, I refrain from taking the life of any living creature. Number two, I refrain from taking that which is not offered. It's not I refrain from stealing. It's taking that which is not offered. So when I lived in this community, we had a communal kitchen. And so some of us had our own food. People would go grocery shopping or whatever, but we'd always put on not offered, not offered because we didn't want our roommates coming in. But sometimes people would buy and say offered and put it out like a bunch of candy or chocolate or I made this. It's offered. It's freely. So that was 
good to take. Example, we had coin laundry. So someone left coins like in the laundry room. Well, doesn't say offered, doesn't say not offered. What do you do? Like, well, okay, someone forgot. It's, it's not offered. It's not explicitly offered. So I don't take what is not given. The example that's often given as well is if you go to a bank, like back in the day when you could actually go inside to a bank and they had the pens that weren't on the chain, like, you know, just accidentally take a pen. Well, that pen really wasn't offered. What do you do? Do you, you leave it or you actually, oops, excuse me, take it back? Refraining from taking that which is not offered. Three, I believe is the sexual misconduct. I refrain from, yeah, sexual misconduct, not creating harm with sexuality and our sexual drives. We'll get into that later when I read these mindfulness trainings for that speech, I believe. These might be a little out of order, but I believe this is the correct order. I refrain from false and harmful speech. So there's a whole aspect of speech you get into when you actually get into the aspect of skillful, wise speech in the path. And it's, yeah, not lying, not using harsh speech, not using divisive speech, and even idle speech is a big one. Talking just to talk. I mean, that's part of our culture get silent. It's that awkward silence and some just, oh, got to fill that space. Got to talk. Got to fill that space instead of just enjoying the silence. Way back in the day, that, that's another memory I have. We're outside in the back, like at a camp, like a little small bonfire in someone's backyard. And everyone just ran out of stuff to talk about. It just got really quiet. Like people stopped speaking. I'm not going to say it got quiet. Just people stopped talking. Awkward silence. One person, what do they say? Oh, it's really quiet. It's like, no. This one I was just starting in this, this practice. I'm like, no, it's not quiet. Listen, because the crickets were going crazy. I mean, it was not quiet. The sounds of the night, you had, I, I don't know, the wind or the, that's all I remember were the crickets. And it's like, oh, and it just kind of like the light bulb, like, just listen, just be present, listen, absorb. You don't have to fill this space with talking, this idle talking. That relates also with gossip. So that's another uh, way to play with speech. So speech is challenging. Speech is huge part of the practice, probably lifelong practice, becoming really skilled in how we use words, when we talk, why we talk, really looking at that stuff. And then five, I refrain from intoxicating drinks and drugs which lead to heedlessness. That one is up to explore. So the four previous create direct harm. When you take a life, when you lie, when you steal, when we actually do these actions, it directly creates harm. The fifth one doesn't create harm in and of itself, but with intoxication, you tend to easily create harm with the other ones. Just the inhibitions go down, clouded. So it's something to explore because people can take, again, middle way. Remember this, middle way. Because some people take it as no caffeine, no medication, no ibuprofen. Like the doctor, 
Same thing with um, if you have a surgery. Well, I can't have that. That's drugs. I can't have those drugs. No, those, that's, take those to help with the pain. They're prescribed by a doctor. They're not for intoxication. They serve a purpose. You know, you can, playing with the caffeine too is fun, but you just, you, you can take it too far. It's what you experiment, what you look. I know from experience by giving up drinking and drugs, Meditation, this mind is much more clear, it's much more alert, it's much more aware. So there is a reason it's there. So those are the five questions, comments. Does that mean that to, to be on this path, according to the precepts, like I, I have to be a vegetarian? Mm. Great question. No. So in the monastics, with that, it's you eat what is offered. It's something to look at. I know I'm much more mindful of meat consumption, but some people can't be vegetarian. It's not beneficial to their health. They get iron deficiencies or other deficiencies or protein deficiencies. Something to explore where the mind is. Is there craving? Is there greed, aggression, delusion around eating? I still eat meat. I'd like not to. I try to eat more vegetarian options, but it's it's hard to do that too in this culture. And I guess that's another aspect of discipline. It's really finding that middle way. If you can do it, you want to do it, go for it. And you're healthy doing it. Sure, a vegetarian diet is very healthy if you know how to properly get all your macronutrients and not become deficient. But even just limiting meat consumption is a start. But even when I do eat meat, because even at that house I lived with, it was with Tibetans. There was a traditional Tibetan family from Tibet. Tibet doesn't grow much food. They eat meat because that is what there is. They don't grow food. So their diet is a lot of meat, and they believe in eating bigger animals because that's less life. So eating chicken would actually be worse than eating cow because you get a lot more from a cow. So it's one life versus how many lives of chickens and fish. And so that's another way that they look at it too. Or is I going with that? Oh yeah, but that's when I take that meat, that's when I started getting the practice, look at that meat and really like, thank you for this life. That interbeing nature of everything. That when I eat this meat, this animal's life is now been given for my own life. And now it is being, in a way, reborn into me. And it lives on in this body, nourishing this body. I mean, you can really play with how you relate to meat and eating meat. Other teachers that I've had have spoken on this topic. And as long as you're not doing the killing, you're following the precepts. And so if you go to the butcher shop and you purchase some meat, you're not directly creating harm to that life. I think it's commonly not seen as breaking that precept. Exactly. Yeah. Thich Nhat Hanh. I don't know how many of you've heard of this, this man who recently passed, but I always considered him a modern day Buddha, the way he writes, the way he views the world and just the amount of karma and influence he's had and a peace. He took these five traditional precepts and expanded on them and called them mindfulness trainings, which I think makes it much more relatable because it's not like 
you know, thou shall not do this. And if you do it, you're going to, you know, it's, you have to do these. These are just ways of working with mindfulness, cultivating mindfulness and really working with the mind. They're in your best interest. So, go ahead, get comfortable. It's been a while since I've done this, but I'm just going to read them. And just let you reflect on them. This will be probably the first time you've heard a lot of these. And again, you can go online, just look up five mindfulness trainings right away, Plum Village, and they're there. The first mindfulness training, reverence for life. Aware of the suffering caused by the destruction of life, I am committed to cultivating the insight of interbeing and compassion and learning ways to protect the lives of people, animals, plants, and minerals. I am determined not to kill, not to let others kill, and not to support any act of killing in the world in my thinking, or in my way of life. Seeing that harmful actions arise from anger, fear, greed, and intolerance, which in turn come from dualistic and discriminative thinking, I will cultivate openness, non-discrimination, and non-attachment to views in order to transform violence, fanaticism, and dogmatism in myself and in the world. This is the first mindfulness training. How have you practiced it? The second mindfulness training, true happiness. Aware of the suffering caused by exploitation, social injustice, stealing and oppression, I am committed to practicing generosity in my thinking, speaking and acting. I am determined not to steal and not to possess anything that should belong to others. And I will share my time energy, and material resources with those who are in need. I will practice looking deeply to see that the happiness and suffering of others are not separate from my own happiness and suffering. That true happiness is not possible without understanding and compassion. And that running after wealth, fame, power, and sensual pleasures can bring much suffering and despair. I am aware that happiness depends on my mental attitude and not on external conditions, and that I can live happily in the present moment simply by remembering 
that I already have more than enough conditions to be happy. I am committed to practicing right livelihood so that I can help reduce the suffering of living beings on Earth and stop contributing to climate change. This is the second mindfulness training. How have you practiced it? Third mindfulness training, true love. Aware of the suffering caused by sexual misconduct, I am committed to cultivating responsibility and learning ways to protect the safety and integrity of individuals, couples, families, and society. Knowing that sexual desire is not love, and that sexual activity motivated by craving always harms myself as well as others, I am determined not to engage in sexual relations without true love and a deep long-term commitment made known to my family and friends. I will do everything in my power to protect children from sexual abuse and to prevent couples and families from being broken by sexual misconduct. Seeing that body and mind are one, I am committed to learning appropriate ways to take care of my sexual energy and cultivating loving-kindness, compassion, joy, and inclusiveness, which are the four basic elements of true love, for my greater happiness and the greater happiness of others. Practicing true love, we know that we will continue beautifully into the future. This is the third mindfulness training. How have you practiced it? The fourth mindfulness training, loving speech and deep listening. Aware of the suffering caused by unmindful speech and the inability to listen to others, I am committed to cultivating loving speech and compassionate listening in order to relieve suffering and to promote reconciliation and peace in myself and among other people, ethnic and religious groups, and nations. Knowing that words can create happiness or suffering, I am committed to speaking truthfully using words that inspire confidence, joy, and hope. When anger is manifesting in me, I am determined not to speak. 
I will practice mindful breathing and walking in order to recognize and to look deeply into my anger. I know that the roots of anger can be found in my wrong perceptions and lack of understanding of the suffering in myself and in the other person. I will speak and listen in a way that can help myself and the other person to transform suffering and see the way out of a difficult situation. I am determined not to spread news that I do not know to be certain and not to utter words that can cause division or discord. I will practice right diligence to nourish my capacity for understanding, love, joy, and inclusiveness, and gradually transform anger, violence, and fear that lie deep in my consciousness. This is the fourth mindfulness training. How have you practiced it? The fifth mindfulness training, Nourishment and Healing. Aware of the suffering caused by unmindful consumption, I am committed to cultivating good health, both physical and mental, for myself, my family, and my society by practicing mindful eating, drinking, and consuming. I will practice looking deeply into how I consume the four kinds of nutriments, namely edible foods, sense impressions, volition, and consciousness. I am determined not to gamble or to use alcohol, drugs, or any other products which contain toxins, such as certain websites, electronic games, TV programs, films, magazines, books, and conversations. I will practice coming back to the present moment to be in touch with the refreshing, healing, and nourishing elements in me and around me, not letting regrets and sorrow drag me back into the past, nor letting anxieties, fear, or craving pull me out of the present moment. I am determined not to try to cover up loneliness, anxiety, or other suffering by losing myself in consumption. I will contemplate interbeing and consume in a way that preserves peace, joy, and well-being in my body and consciousness, and in the collective body and consciousness of my family, my society, and the earth. This is the fifth mindfulness training. How have you practiced it?
by the merit of this practice, by the merit of us being here tonight, may all beings attain awakening. May it defeat the enemies of greed, aggression, and delusion from the stormy waves of pain and suffering. May all beings be free. Thank you for being here tonight. May it be beneficial. Good night. Thank you for listening. We know your time is valuable, so we are grateful you choose to spend it with the MOI community. This podcast is supported by listeners like you. To make an offering, please visit us at mindfulnessoutreachinitiative.org. And tune in each week for more Dharma talks, reflections, and teachings centered in the insight meditation tradition.